Hi, this is Bill Crystal. Welcome to the Substandard Podcast. The only other people listening to this, Russian agents and the FBI. Look, I like you guys, okay? Especially you. Okay, don't feel bad about that, but I like you guys, so I'll tell you where it is. But, uh, but first, I need to see something, okay? And it's going to involve both of you. I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to get weird. Two dragons. Hello and welcome back to The Substandard. I'm Victor Mattis along with Jonathan V. Last and Sonny Bunch. I'd like to remind you that The Substandard is available on iTunes and Google Play. Just look on a podcast and search for Substandard. You'll easily find us. Please subscribe. Tell your friends. Leave a review. Speaking of which, congratulations to us. We reached 100 starred reviews. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Thank you. Yay. A recent reviewer, Cardea22, who gave us five stars in review, she says... He? Uh, oh, he? Okay. A hill worth dying on. Uh, and goes on to say, I'm fairly certain that I will forfeit treasures in heaven by giving any kind of support or accolade to this nonsense, but it's the sweet, sweet, uncut Colombian that I can't help but come back to week after week. Cardia, 22, if that's your real name, would you like direct message or tweet or email or something like me or Vic or Sonny because I have a little something for you. There you go. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of weird <laughs> DMs or Card- tweets. Card- or... Cardea is like Michelle Pfeiffer in Scarface. That's how good it is. It's laminated. Pelican, pelican, pelican. Okay, thank you. Um, also, one other comment I'd like to throw out there for Pablo 7i2617736 who says, genuinely great humor, the humor, genuinely great, the humor and chemistry among the hosts is excellent, always a fun listen, but I'd like to especially note that Sonny Bunch has great opinions and everyone needs to stop kidding around and admit it. People may think of me as one of those people in love with a convicted felon, but I'm not the crazy one. All of you are. Is that a real review? Yes, it's just up. That's 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 the nicest thing anyone has ever said. Uh, yeah, I was going to say I didn't know your mother. Me. I didn't know your mother goes by the name Pablo seven nine two six one seven. No, that's actually that's actually your mom, Vic. Two four six zero one. Sunny's opinions, <laughs> to be honest, very strong. Very. I got a lot of spicy takes. Uh, also about the humor and chemistry part, I think if readers are interested, it helps that we don't actually hang out much outside of the studio. I think one hour in the studio a week is enough. We yes. don't even talk. No. Outside of the studio. Uh, we hate each other. We're like Siskel and Ebert even, off camera. <laughs> hate each even other. The, oh, sorry. Okay, at 224. Even uh, Sonny and I work together at the Free Beacon, and I try to avoid him, even at the office. He's two doors down, so if I see him getting coffee, I won't get coffee. If I see him in the men's room, I just wait outside. You don't share a wall? <laughs> no, we have- Because uh, we, we have, always we do have that without seeing us. him. I, uh, I, my office door is shut all the time, so I would I know just, it's Sonny. He's got the beards, JVL. Okay. <laughs> Um, also, uh, in addition, <laughs> I am kind of lost already. I don't okay. know. I don't know what's happening. Not this not is an problem. old joke from when Vic and I Not shared a, a wall. That was back in the day. Back, yes, back, back in, the in the day. day. Back in Just the day. Just like a truck stop. That's right. We'd also <laughs> like to rem- wow. We'd also like to remind you that substandard show notes posted by Jonathan Last are available every Friday at 11 a.m. at weeklystandard.com. In addition to that, uh, this was inspired by Kristen Saltis Anderson coming up with a bingo card. The Weekly Standard is now coming out with their own 
substandard bingo cards. I don't know if that means we've jumped the shark or not, but uh, yes. It does. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And where can they get this? It's good that is this it... is our last episode. Yes. Yes, you can use is. them to, when you're listening to old episodes, you can you can play bingo. This is the show's episode. 21st episode. We're allowed to drink now. Woo! Hey! Uh, and uh, JVL, where can, is it out now? The, the cards are out now? Uh, when you listen, if you can be listening to this podcast now, then you can hop onto any one of our Twitter accounts and you'll see a, a link to not, not be able to download it. I'm not, I'm not promoting Fantastic. this. Fantastic. Uh, gentlemen, uh, how Play are... along at home. <laughs> yes. How... Instagram your bingo cards at the end of the show or Snapchat it because social engagement is everything. Hope that somebody cares. How are we? JVL, how are you doing? Scale of one to ten, where one is Booster Gold and ten is Batman. I am the Flash. I was gonna say I'm the Jay Garrick Flash, but actually I think I'm the Barry Allen Flash. It's been a pretty good weekend. I I went out on a on a date with my little four year old daughter yesterday, and she's this little like tiny bit of nothing and blonde curly hair and big blue eyes. And we're sitting at Wegmans and she's munching on a chocolate chocolate chip muffin. And she says to me, "Daddy, friends have to stick together no matter what." And I said, yeah, yeah, that's right, sweetheart, they do. She said, in this way, if they meet a monster and the monster's mean, they can get bats and then they can kill it. <laughs> uh, it's good that she's prepared. She's thinking ahead. <laughs> Just, anyway, that sort of made my weekend. There, There is a bat shortage. Have you read about this? There is a bat, there's not enough bats out there. That's uh, the problem. No. Baseball bat like shortage? <laughs> Louisville slugger. Oh, a bad bats. Tree. If there's bats out there, she said. No bats. If there's a monster, you can get a yeah, bat oh, and get kill a bat. it. Uh, mm, okay. My four year daughter. Were you thinking of like bats, bats with she's leather wings? <laughs> no, yes, she's leather. preparing to be Negan. She's going to be the uh, Negan of her little Negan. Mont- Negan, her little Montessori class. Well, I'm sorry, I don't watch the stupid show. I only read the awesome comic books. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we are on today. Sunny, how are you? Uh, I'm really good. You know, I uh, I had a nice little little weekend. Did a lot of laundry. Uh, did some did some cooking. Cooked some cooked some salmon. It was always fun. No, I'm sorry. We didn't need Vic's weekend. Yeah. We needed Sonny's <laughs> weekend. Yeah, how dare you? But no, uh, fish is one of your specialties. You are Aquaman. Yes, that's right. Uh, so uh, my weekend was good. That's good. I, you know, uh, I have uh, been very uh, active on the reading front. I just finished Neil Stevenson's Cryptonomicon because I'm 20 years behind everyone else on everything. Uh, and it was uh, like I, I, without getting into too many details, it was shockingly reactionary. I recommend it to all of our crazy right wing friends. Um, but uh, but it's not good because of the politics. It's good because of the world building, but also the politics. Uh, I've always wanted to read uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind by the autobiography by Chuck Barris. Speaking of which, Chuck Barris uh, died uh, two, now two weekends ago. Uh, Sonny, were you a Chuck Barris fan? Did you know of Chuck Barris when you heard he died? Yes, okay. but only because of the film adaptation of Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Frankly, yes. I like I am not familiar at all with the Gong Show or whatever other nonsense. That was that no he longer did. in syndication by the time I think you might have even been <laughs> born, yeah. perhaps, and uh, before my time. Now it's again all available on YouTube. Uh, J- uh, JVL, uh, you probably didn't. I, I, I'm probably the only one who watched the Gong Show. Are you or kidding? No? You lo- oh, really? Are you kidding? Of course. The guy, if you want to understand the 1970s in America and you only have 90 seconds to figure out everything about the decade, just pull up any 90-second clip of The Gong Show, and that tells That's you exactly what this country was for a decade. What surprised me 
uh, actually, when I heard the news, was that Chuck Barris was still alive. Oh, yeah. I thought he, I I thought he died 30 way. years ago, well, like of an overdose. Overdosed in, in an alley. <gasps> Very strange. I saw a, an interview with him on YouTube recently where he was reminiscing on the show. And even in his 80s, he looked the same. He like so that's how he looked in 1979, and then in 2009 looked the same. He died uh, shockingly at the age of 87. Wow! Uh, yeah, that's amazing. That means he was like 50 when the Gong Show was out. He was born in 1929. Can you, for 30 seconds, describe for anybody listening who might not understand it what, what the Gong, the Gong Show, Show was? was? Yeah, because it is like you imagine, like, hey, this was on television yeah, in America yeah, yeah. on a well, broadcast. Well, first of all, network. you know, uh, again, and, and I did a little bit of a, an obit for him in the Free Beacon. Uh, he he started off; he was always kind of connected to show business. He was like an NBC page. Then he was a songwriter. Uh, he created he created the dating game. And the newlywed game, which is famous for you know all those double entendres, you can see how it's right up my alley. Um, they were, you know, but he didn't host, or he no, did host. no, he was, was behind was the Bob scenes. Eubanks, yes, right? that's correct. Or was and, he the newlywed? Uh, yes. yes, and he uh, no, he was producer. Totally creeptastic. Yeah, guy. I, yes, exactly. Boy, and Bob Eubanks was creepy. They're always always using the phrases "making whoopee." That was the big deal. Yes, because you could, that's how they can get away with it. But then again, as you mentioned, he came up with the Gong Show, which was ostensibly a talent show if you can believe this was nbc daytime uh that's when it ran um and think of it sort of as a bizarro with a voice um which is where what is the voice on nbc as well maybe um and you know how the the voice works where you have the three judges and they sit with their backs to the performer and then at you know midway through the song Somebody slapped one of the judges slaps down this buzzer they turn around to say hey i like your singing and i want you to be a part of my team and it happens every song, I think. I don't think, I don't remember the last time, not that I'm a, uh, an avid watcher of The Voice, but I don't remember any time where all three just sat with their backs like uh, crickets and then the person leaves and the crowd goes crazy and they're singing because by that time, the people that they have performing are, you know, are, you know, what they consider to be top-notch talent. And then there's a battle of, I want you on my team. No, I want you on my team. This is talk, Adam Levine. I'm sorry, don't talk about yes. The Voice. Talk yes. about The Gong Show. So that is, that is The Voice. And I want you to, and The Gong Show is the exact opposite of that. The Gong Show is, how long can you stay up before somebody hits the gong to say, you're awful? And so if The Voice so has was it all like- the beautiful people on singing beautifully, The Gong Show was... People who were really not beautiful, they look, I mean, obviously it took place in the 70s. I mean, they looked like they were just picked up off the street and the judges were terrible. They were crazy. And I mean, they were, they were B plus at best, right? Jamie Farr from MASH, he was a judge. All mm-hmm. the time. You know, uh, Mabel King Every from what's happening. Every fifth episode, yes, Jamie Ma- Farr Mabel was King on. from what's happening. She was a judge. And of course, the famous J.P. Morgan, Sonny. So this is like white people's live at the Apollo. Kind of, but it was a mix. But coked up. Yeah, but I mean, okay. but, but it was a mix. Up. Jimmy Walker was a judge, you know what I mean? Gene Gene so, the Dancing Machine yeah, Jean, was an Jean, African-American another American gentleman. A very, heavy, a very heavy set fellow. Okay. And uh, in fact, the Gene Gene Dancing Machine segment, um, they would, it would always happen in the middle and, and, and Barris would pretend like he didn't know it was happening. And they would say they would interrupt the actual talent show for a singing and uh, a dancing routine. A dance off? Uh, no, Gene Gene, the dancing machine is a guy, he was like a prop guy. He would come out yeah, no, and just start this is dancing. Like Subas from 30 Rock. And people, like, yes. Out. This and is, people would this start This is the worst throwing, thing I've ever heard. You gotta watch, well, if you read how, my obit how, in the Beacon, Sonny. I, first off, on I, would, the link I would never read anything in the Washington Free Beacon. That is a garbage website. <laughs> Uh, the, but my my he, knows, so he my, says this because he knows the boss is not listening. To my this. my question about this show: so how did they decide when to hit the gong? Mm. 
whenever as they as the, wanted to. As soon as, 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 soon as, as could any of the judges hit yes. the gong, just and then, it was literally then, a big metal gong. Right, yes. walked up with a yeah. mallet. That's the best part. And it, and then, but then somebody would say, "No, I think this guy's pretty good." And then they'll judge will start fighting over the mallet. You know, I mean, it was part. It was all you know show. And then uh, when Gene Gene would come on, he would do his dancing thing. People they would throw all these inflatable things at him and balloons. And then the judges would dance and the host would dance. And it was like, let's break out everybody. Let's break okay. into dancing. And culminating in the famous uh, who's the actress who like takes her shirt off it was off the, the judge it was the, the judge J.P. Morgan she got so carried away in the middle of a Gene uh, Gene moment that she just flashed the audience in the middle and and that got seen. Um, J.P. Morgan? J.P. Morgan. J-A-Y-E. Her oh, name was J-A-Y-E. Not, not James Pierpont no, Morgan. Not the they, didn't, they didn't have the corpse of James Pierpont no, Morgan. It was a problem. Uh, I, okay. I, I realized it was a problem when I put all of my savings with J.P. Morgan, and it turned out to be the judge from the gong show. That was not a good idea. Uh, and she would flash. The other uh, controversial moment was when uh, Chuck Barris uh, led in an act that initially passed the censors. Uh, they were called the Popsicle Twins. And they were, I'm going to say 20-something girls, but dressed up to look like they were uh, teenagers. And their only act was to sit on stage uh, eating a popsicle. In what manner? Very suggestively, JVL. And they got away with it. And they do the entire act. It was unbelievable. Of course, the NBC switchboard starts lighting up like a Christmas tree. Uh, They pulled the plug so that people on the West Coast did not see this. But, you know, people on the East Coast did. And you could see it on YouTube. Uh, Phyllis Diller was one of the judges. I'm going to put a link to the popsicle. And she was disgusted, Phyllis Diller. She gave it a zero because you have to give your card for, you know, zero to ten. She gave a zero. Jamie Farr. Did she hit the gong? No, nobody hit the gong. That was the crazy thing. They let them finish and then gave them a poor rating. Uh, that surprised me, too. That it was like, nobody basic, like so, it was, so it was the substandard of its time. Yes, they let it, it was. They, they didn't pull the plug. They no, just, they just, just let, let it get yeah. down and dirty. Jamie Farr gave it a two. And he looked embarrassed. And J.P. Morgan. Oh, my. Yes. They really did I'm a not subjective job. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And uh, uh, <laughs> I can't believe this happened. <laughs> On NBC during the day. That's why kids could watch it. I w- and these girls really do look like they're 14 years old. They, this I'm is, glad to say, but they're, they're, not. they're not. No, no, they're uh, just dressed up. It's this is, I'll put the link. I'll put a yes. video. I don't in understand. Show notes. Wait, I don't understand this how this was an act. <laughs> yes, like in yeah. like oh. outside of the Gong Show. Did they tour no. doing this? No. Was no. it? This did, they go, did they go this, to nightclubs? This was America See, in the thank you, 70s. See, my I guess my mistake. No matter how bad you think things are now, they're not like they were in 1975. I guess I guess my mistake is reading David Frum's the 1970s and thinking like, wow, this is what America was like. It was serious and there were real problems but no it was just popsicle no. twins sucking this uh, was popsicles. The, this was the gut reaction to all the horribleness of that time think about what was going on in the world when the popsicle twins were performing uh and jp morgan incidentally she gave the act a 10 and i believe her line was uh girls this is how i started too <laughs> that's what she said um what was jp morgan's deal what fame? was what was, what was her thing? thing you know what i'm i'm embarrassed that madeline khan who's in the giving a no, she can't have from, been. From Clue? Uh, Clues, Madeline Kahn? I believe Clues, Madeline uh, By the way, these yeah. popsicle girls look like they're 100% high. And now Madeline Kahn is like filleting a popsicle on the end. Jesus Christ. I'm going to put the, no, I, this was yeah. on daytime television yeah, no, in America. Again, this is, this is, no, no, that's J.P. Morgan with the popsicle. Uh, JVL, wow. not Madeline Kahn, J.P. Morgan. Uh, yeah, that was. They can study this intensely. In, in, he in, knows. In a, in a, in a, uh, in a nutshell, shall we say. 
Um, but all the, a lot of the sh- game shows were like that. You know, the Hollywood Squares. You know, they would ask, you know, the, the questions that, you know, the jokes they would tell, you know, they were ethnic jokes, racial jokes, molestation jokes, and they were all in on it. And the women would make jokes about it. You know, Rosemary, you know, formerly of the Dick Van Dyke show, uh, she would be asked a question about, you know, you know, somebody's getting molested in a park. What do you say? And she says, I say, why not me? I mean, that was that was the joke in the 70s. It was like things that you could not get away with today. And I guess vice versa. And this, it was very unpolitically correct. Humor has become more conservative, really. If you like uh, you in, know, in certain. Puritan. Yeah, more puritanical. Puritan. Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. not conservative, exactly more right. puritanical. Uh, and it's sort of, uh, you know, then the gong show eventually uh, in Chuck Barris's mind, he wanted to turn that. Uh, into uh, a movie, and he actually wrote the script for The Gong Show, which I believe was in 1980. It was so bad uh, that it did not survive uh, the opening weekend. Can I ask? Can I ask a question? When when you say he wrote a Gong Show movie, yes. is it was it like a was it like one of these Jackass movies? You remember the Jackass movies where like Johnny Knoxville was going around and like do they were no, doing I, their stunts I, or whatever? It was like a scripted I, Gong Show. Yeah, I, I, he I mean, I, the week of, so it was a week in the his yeah. life getting the Gong Show on air, but yeah. scripted. Kind of like I mean, it was. I, I mean, I always imagined like it's like what he would have loved is a like the Howard Stern movie. You know, that kind of a thing. Oh, like private parts. Yeah, like private yeah. parts. I think that's what he would have loved to Great have movie. had. Yeah, exactly. So, and not surprising. Only, it's surprisingly good. And not only pulled from theaters, but for decades did not exist on home video. That's you right. could not get a VHS or DVD of it. If you go back to watch any of the Chuck Barris, uh, uh, when, you look, when you see him doing his monologue at Shtick, he's also a compulsive clapper for somebody. He can't stop clapping. Every In between every line, he's clapping. It's a very weird thing. Can and you explain Chuck Barris? Probably not the cocaine. Yeah, no, 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 certainly no, no, not no, the no. cocaine. I don't know about that. Yes. Vic, Vic, can you explain Chuck Barris's deal? Like, he thought he was a CIA agent or something? Yes. Can he, can just In talk about that. In his Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which is the unauthorized autobiography, as he uh, called it, uh, he was only a part-time TV celebrity, and the rest of the time he was an assassin working for the CIA. Uh, and he insisted on this. And I'm going to say uh, probably not, and that was all in his head. Uh, considering the uh, subtitle was the unauthorized autobiography, it was kind of wacky though. But he, but he insisted on it. And then George Clooney, of course, directed him uh, directed a movie uh, starring uh, Sam Rockwell and Julia Roberts and uh, Drew Barrymore uh, and George Clooney as well. And so it's it's fantastical. Um, I don't know if Barris ever recanted that at any point in time saying, yeah, you know, I made the whole thing up. I actually don't know, and I, I will look into that. But that was sort of the weird world or the weird mind of Chuck Barris. It's, it's hard to sneak up on people to kill them when you're clapping every five <laughs> seconds. Yes, exactly. But anyway, The Gog Show was obviously a terrible uh, movie version of a TV show. And we are actually talking about uh, other uh, reboots, uh, TV shows and movies that have been rebooted, and why uh, JVL... You saw a reboot of a TV show over the weekend. What a twist. (laughs) (laughs) So there were two reboots this weekend. The two big new movies this weekend were reboots of Chips and the Power Rangers. Not the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, just the Power Rangers. And Sonny chose not to see these movies. Yeah, I I went to go see a classy film by the name of Trainspotting Two, a totally necessary sequel by the great Danny Boyle. Uh, and we're not necessary ta- or unnecessary. We're gonna we're gonna t- we're not gonna talk about that today because we really have important things to discuss, like 
Power Rangers, which JVL saw. So and I, Sonny did not. I jumped on the grenade, and I will now review a movie like I'm yes. Sonny Bunch. Oh. Yes, do it. It's it's so easy. <laughs> it's not terrible. I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> oh boy, go uh, for it. So look, did you see this alone? No, I saw this in a reasonably crowded no, 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 no. Theater. Did you go by yourself? Yes. Yes. I'm not going to let anybody whom I know, like, catch me dead going to see. What was the, the crowd like in the theater? Kids or older people who remember it when they were kids? I I don't look or talk to. I literally because I can now pick my seat on my phone four hours ahead of time. I skip all the trailers and I show up as they're doing the seven minute. This is Dolby Atmos promo reel, <laughs> and I don't look at who's sitting next to me or near me. I try to pretend I'm alone. Uh, it's not terrible. It it might even be the Dark Knight of the Mighty Morphin oh, Power Rangers <laughs> universe. <laughs> I look. Take it as this. <laughs> this movie is not for us. This movie is not made for us. It is It is made, in fact, for people who fall in the narrow band of having been like five or six years old, between five and six and probably 11 years old, during the height of the Power Ranger madness, mm-hmm. which begins in 1993. Mm-hmm. And did you, so, so did you watch that in 1993, JVL? You can tell us. You know what? Okay. What's the, wait, what's wait, the time wait, mark? Wait, 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 it's 20, 2052. Go f- <laughs> I did not watch Power Rangers, but here's the thing. So, <laughs> so Power Rangers, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers ran for three seasons. Three the original. Seasons, the original. Yeah. And yet has left an enormous cultural footprint. It is a little bit, not quite as much like Star Trek, but a little bit like Star Trek in that. There's no like giant legacy the way Star Trek has, but there's a legacy that everybody in America knows who or what the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers are, whether or not they ever saw them. I, I watched probably half an episode with my kid brother once, and that's it. Uh, and so you get this movie, which is going to be a piece of nostalgia for a bunch of I would say low, low band millennials is probably right. Young millennials. Younger millennials, but not that young. I mean, I was, so I was 11 when it came out. So I was like, I was just probably too old to really like. So there's a decade's worth of people below your age who, for whom this will be totally fun. This will be what the the Michael Bay Transformers was for me and Vin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what? The truth is, this is. For considering this is a show and a property which began with just a pure IP rights play, so Jaime Saban gets rights to a bunch of clips and stock footage from a of monster battles from a Japanese TV show called I'm going to butcher it, Kairu Sentai Junja, or something like that. That's the most problematic thing that's ever been done. <laughs> oh on my our gosh, show. that's so. <laughs> I'm trying to like use uh, whatever. That's, some, cultu- some that's cultural Japanese. appropriation right there. And do, you so speak, these are, do you have to say it like that? <laughs> One thousand cards. <laughs> what you could, that's my impression from Gug Ho. What, what, you, okay. what, you guys, what you guys didn't see you Sentai Drenje. Here in the studio, he actually pulled out a samurai sword. <laughs> it was actually, it was really, it was really offensive. I'm offended and I did not As a that. Filipino, I found that scary. So here's the thing. So. He, Saban gets the rights to these fights, and he then says, I'm going to build an English-language TV show around them. And so I'm going to shoot, like, 12 minutes of content with some fresh-faced American kids. Like kind of a Saved by the Bell sort of thing. Kind of almost. Saved yeah, by yeah. the Bell, yeah. except oh, then great. we then, okay, four minutes of Saved by the Bell, cut. Now we drop in the Japanese monster footage. <laughs> 
Brilliance. And this works, and people people come to it. And as I said, a nor- so you start with really crap, and you get to this movie where you learn at the beginning that, in fact, the Power Rangers killed the dinosaurs, and uh, that the new Power Rangers are basically come from the Breakfast Club. You have a bunch of misfits in Saturday Detention who wind up as the Power Rangers. And it sounds terrible, but it's smarter than it has to be, and it's funnier than it has to be, and it kind of earns its emotional beats, and it moves from moment to moment, and only has one or two really bad continuity problems. Uh, and so there will be there will be a lot of people who like this and who don't like it seriously, but like it because it touches something in them. Mm-hmm. And it's a nostalgia object. And I'm okay with that. I don't I don't have a problem with it. It's not it's not my jam. It's not any You of don't our jams. begrudge people that I don't nostalgia. begrudge it because it's not ter- it's not horrible product. This is not something you should look down on like the young intern in your office who went to see this with their friends over the weekend and is like, Yeah, yeah it was totally fun. Don't don't look down on them for that. Uh, they well, don't earn that. I'll look down on them anyway. Well sure but, you will. But right, right. Because you're but, terrible. What is it, PG? PG thirteen, I think. Is it? Yeah. Uh, Sonny, uh, you, uh, JVL, you said that uh, Power Rangers was 1993. Yeah. So that would be kind of your target, wouldn't it be, Sonny? Well, so as as JVL was saying, the, the kind of target range of ages for this show when it was on, it came on Fox in like at like the 3 p.m. hour. It was like where you got you came home from school and you watched it. If I remember correctly, that's I could be. Yeah. No, you're but that's, exactly right. But that, but that is like I was just slightly too old for it. I mean, I was. Uh, I well, remember you were already into Truffaut. <laughs> right, right. Well, no, I was already. I mean, look, Truffaut was a little bit below eleven-year-old, little on the nose, Sunny. Frankly, I was more of a Bergman, Ingmar Bergman. You know, it was Truffaut was all right if you're into that sort of juvenile. French stuff, uh, but no, I, I, it was a little, it was a little. I was more, I, see, I was more Batman animated series, X Men animated series, like that. That I, I, I stuck with my comic book stuff, and I didn't quite get the whole Mighty Morphin Power Rangers thing. It wasn't, it just didn't. I didn't. I, I was like, wait, why are we going from Saved by the Bell to Godzilla? I don't understand this. I don't like it. It's weird and strange, and all of the effects are terrible, and I hate it. I want it to go away. Yeah, no, it's a perfect moment of like globalization plus, uh, plus remix culture. It, it is like the plus, original yeah, remix no, culture, yeah, like no, an it's actual a thing of its moment. It is. It, I, I I hate I hate the remix culture people who are like Star Wars is just a remix of Samurai, and bleh. I hate those people because it's not a remix; it's a different thing that has some kind of you know. This is some literally. This is, but this is literal. Sampling. This is this is an actual <laughs> remix. It's actually like we're we're taking things and changing it, um, and that may be one of the reasons why it doesn't appeal to me because I think remixes are terrible. Girl talk is the worst thing. Of all time, the the musician Girl Talk. Does anybody are you guys familiar with? You're old, so you don't know what Girl Talk is. But Girl Talk is this guy who like do they do that just mash mash together pop songs and like made new things. Is it and like Banana Rama? Jesus, sorry. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Could I find them on Yik Yak? Yes, probably. I Yik, I don't know. Is Yik Yak still a thing? I thought they shut Yik Yak down because no, it totally was leading to the. So the kids at my Montessori school are all over Yik Yak. Uh, so. Do you monitor the yik yak? Do you just have yik yak open always? Do you want to see what like what the matrix? Yik's, what like yik's the matrix, yak? The yik yak's just always streaming down past my face. So you were saying, <laughs> sunny, sunny. I don't, I don't know what I was saying. The point is, the, I was never a Power Rangers guy. I was more of a like superhero cartoon. It, and like the early '90s was like this kind of weird golden age of superhero cartoons where you had the 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 Bruce Tim and. 
Because um, you couldn't do them in movies yet. Right, yeah, right. And there's a lot of these people actually, they're, they're writers, their training ground was yep. in those shows. You know, what, what interests me about this more is the entire idea of re- not remaking, but porting things off of television into a movie theater for, like, much removed. I mean, there's one yep. thing. So there's a thing which is a long-standing tradition going back to like the 50s. You have a popular television show, and so you just take a supersized episode of it and put it into a movie theater. They did this actually with the Adam West Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But to wait 10 or 15 years for a generation to or go the by X-Files. and then try to reinvent a property uh, is an interesting thing. And people do it for both good reasons and bad reasons. Um, we're What are the good reasons that they do this for? Well, the good reason is because you have an idea for a piece of art, a piece of cinema art, that you understand you cannot get greenlit unless you tie it to some pre-aware property. So 21 Jump Street, I would say, is the perfect example of this. 21 Jump Street does not need to be labeled 21 Jump Street. It is a fish-out-of-water, buddy-cop-slash-high-school comedy slash adventure action movie that nobody in Hollywood would have dared sign off on if it hadn't been attached to, hey, it's 21 Jump Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there are there are some things like that. But we have this mania for what they call in the industry pre-aware properties. And I find it, uh, I mean, this is sequels fall into this. So anything that has a sequel is is this and the other thing are remakes and I, I don't know what do you guys think of it, Victorino? Uh, are you in favor? <clears throat> are you anti? Well, most of them seem to be bad. Maybe you can uh, help us, uh, JVL, later with if there were any that you thought to rank were, them were good. Oh, can we rank my them? Goodness, oh, ranking boy. them. Ranking. I was going to say to go back a little bit ranking. about the Power Rangers. It did obviously well enough. It did forty million at the box office. I mean, it's no Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast did eighty-eight million on its, in its second, second weekend. Second week. Yeah. Okay, that's crazy. Forty million for Power Rangers. But Chips, which is a reboot, of course, of the 70s, 80s TV show, uh, that did $7.6 million opening weekend. I imagine from there, all the power in Dax Shepard's hands won't be able to save this uh, movie. I think it starts at seven point, and then it's, what, minus 40% of that for the following weekend? Yeah. I mean, fortunately, it was cheap. It was a cheap movie to make, I think. Uh, The problem with Chips is that it is based on a property that has no real nostalgic value. Are people really into, like, Chips? But but don't think of it that way. Think of it this way. Had that movie not been tied to Chips, would anybody even have heard of it? Right. And I think the answer is no. The only reason anybody in America even knows that it was a thing was because people were mildly curious. Oh, hey, they're making Chips into a movie. And this is... This is the truth. Is I I almost can't blame Hollywood for it. I think it's kind of the media's fault. The media's the fault. Media rewards studios who do these remakes and reboots and porting over with lots of attention because they have to write about movies. We have this mm. big entertainment complex which writes about you know, Entertainment Weekly and Empire. Give me and something. A million different movie websites like Film Drunk and Slash Film and Act Four and Culture Eleven and hey. all this. Hey. Hey. Yeah, I'm looking at you, bunch. Hi. And uh, and so what we do is we reward by writing about these things prospectively because otherwise, what do you know about a project? And the answer is nothing. You know who's writing it. You know who's directing it. You know who's starring in it. But that's basically it. But if the studio has told you, hey, it's a remake of the A-Team, then you know, hey, look, they're remaking yeah. the A-Team. And so 
The studios are not wrong that you can get some baseline level of media interest, which translates into free advertising dollars for a, something that is a pre-aware right. property. But, but what you're talking about is not really a media problem so much as an audience problem, right? Because audiences aren't interested in reading about things that they don't know what they are going to be reading about. Look, Sonny, if you want to say that the problem is that people are garbage, you're not going to get me to disagree. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, if, if what you, that's what a you're baseline really problem. To do. That's a baseline <laughs> problem. The right. real problem is that I want everyone to, is garbage. I want to get to the root causes here. And the root cause is that all of you people are terrible. Well, you do talk about these um, TV shows, and I was thinking about three of them, um, Starsky and Hutch, The A-Team, and Bewitched. Bewitched, obviously, is not from the 70s, from the 60s. Why, right? And you, you, but you can attach a star to it. You keep the budget under somewhat control. You can gin up some money so, for that, right? So Bewitched and Starsky and Hutch actually have rational reasons for existing. And Which the rational reasons are Will Ferrell was in a, par, a point in his career where he was just trying to get movies made. He wasn't at his apex yet. Bewitched was a, his first attempt to do romantic comedy. With Nicole Kidman. Right. And so if you are Will Ferrell and you're looking to do a romantic comedy and you want to try to branch out your career that way, then you could say, okay, well, here's this property I can just jump into. And it because it's pre-sold, it makes it a little bit easier to... Because otherwise, you're stuck doing movies that have, especially like a romantic comedy, with no hook in it. That's a very hard sell. Mm. So... Those the A team is a little bit harder. I mean, that's just hey, we we want to try to have another action franchise. Maybe it'll catch fire and be like Fast and the Furious, and maybe it won't. But the truth is, these things are really. You want the Fast and the Furious, you got to make the Fast and the Furious. Yeah, right. And the A team actually had a really good director in Joe Carnahan, uh, who made The Gray and and Smoking Aces and a bunch of other stuff uh, that is kind of a narc. Narc is his, probably his best movie with Ray Liotta. Um, he was in but, Goodfellas, wasn't he? Yes. That was well, directed right. by Martin yes. Scorsese, wasn't the it? The greatest director. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, just checking. Except for Zack Snyder, just uh, of course. Uh, the, the, but, but, you know, the problem with A-Team is that it was bad. It was bad. It, it had kind of a bad cast. Uh, you know, I love Bradley Cooper, and I love Liam Neeson, and I, it, but that, that movie just didn't work. No. In any, in any sense. No. Hard of, pass. Of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of these, like, the Flintstones... Yeah, Charlie's Angels. Here's one. I'm gonna throw Josie and the Pussycat. Charlie's Angels were good enough that they did a sequel, didn't they? Except for they, and they, they made enough kept money that they did yes, a sequel. Right. It did not work right. well. Enough. <laughs> no, 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 I'm gonna. No. I'm gonna they go, made enough money. I'm for gonna it. throw yeah. one out there go that ahead. actually worked, and it worked because of the actors involved. It was kind of a sub movement on its own. Starsky and Hutch. Ooh, I don't think that was the Starsky and Hutch remake with Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller. Was pretty. Good. The scene where they're in jail with Will Ferrell. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Dragon. That's actually yes. that Do, scene alone. Let me see your yeah. belly button. Right. Oh, the dragon wants yeah. to come out. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it's 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 and fantastic. Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn. Evil Vince Vaughn. Evil Vaughn, Vaughn. The put upon dad because slash gangster. Exactly. It, because that movie worked because it was part of that whole kind of. Yeah. We uh, we will watch Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller I, together right. in anything. Exactly. What was that called? They weren't the Brat Pack. They weren't the Brat Pack. They were like the they Frat Pack. The Frat Pack. Okay. That's what mm-hmm. was that was that them? I don't know, but I, I love know. it. Uh, yeah, but no, I like that. But it was but it was a it, it it's a movie that would have worked on its own anyway. With with that core group of talent and putting the Starsky and Hutch thing on top of it made it made it sellable. I think you're right. I think that's a good reason to to remake it. 
isn't it true they're coming up with a Magnum PI? Is it for TV though? Uh, a remake of that? I read that somewhere as well. I think that would I don't be know. a terrible well, you know, idea. The river does run both ways. There's a whole giant list of movies that get turned into TV shows, like Fargo and Animal yeah, Kingdom. That's right. And that's right. The, I mean, so this is. And Fargo is enormously successful. The, yeah, the, the the thievery goes in both directions, yeah, and it yeah. shows <laughs> shows how starved we are for original ideas. It makes you appreciate somebody like Christopher Nolan, who only makes original movies all the more. Uh, it is interesting, though. The Fargo TV series is very different from Fargo the movie. It's just kind of set in the same area, and it has some elements from the movie where you, you have, like, you know, where did the bag of money come from, et cetera. But, like, the... the uh, the show itself is very, very kind of unattached to, or um, the series is very, very unattached to the film, and it's really good. It's really well acted. It's really well directed. I don't know if you guys have watched it, but it, I, I highly recommend it, and I'm very excited that it's, that it's coming back in a month or so. That's great. I don't watch TV. <laughs> I still, Fargo, the movie, is right up there. Again, I've mentioned this on several occasions. It's really right up there for me. It's one of my favorite movies. I can, If it's on, I'll leave it on. Wow. I'll Way leave to go, it on. Way to go out on a limb there. You the, like Fargo? Wow. That's bold. I remember seeing That's this when nobody Vic. knew what it was. I saw it at the time in, a, in the theater. <laughs> Sonny, you might have been in grade school, so they probably couldn't get it. You was couldn't that, get in. So was that before? 95. Was that before? 95. Did, did Fargo win Best Picture? No, it did not. That was the problem. Did the it Coens win have. Best Director? Ma- Francis McDormand won, yeah, I think, for I can't remember. Best Supporting yeah. Actress. Um, or Best Actress, she should have. Uh, the the other problem that always drives me crazy, of course, are classic movies from the 70s and the 80s that are fine on its own. Leave them the way they are. Leave it be. They're classics. And still, Hollywood feels compelled to do a reboot of those movies. Uh, and so I have just a short list. Of, a ranking? A ranking. If Vic- you yeah. Okay, ranking. good. Uh, ranking. First, okay. Ranking. From the bottom. The In-Laws. A great, funny movie from 1979 directed by Arthur Hiller starring Alan Arkin and Peter Falk. You cannot recreate that. It's like, again, as they say, you know, the cliche of capturing lightning in a bottle. But Alan Arkin is is the neurotic dentist. Peter Falk is just nuts. And he works, you know, their, their children are getting married. Falk secretly works for the CIA, and, and, and Arkin is, of course, your Joe Average guy. I mean, this dentist, he's neurotic, as I said, and it's Crazy, and Ed Bagley plays the uh, the CIA, you know, handler in, in in the Latin American country, and it's nuts. And they try to remake it uh, with uh, Michael Douglas and um, Albert Brooks, and I like both actors, but there's no need for that, mm. and it just it was just terrible. Okay, Lady Ghostbusters, <clears throat> obviously. Don't have to get into that. We've it's just Ghostbusters, Vic. <laughs> Lady wow. Ghostbusters. Lady Ghostbusters. Very I thought that was the name. I thought that was the name. Footloose. You can't beat Kevin Bacon. And, uh, God, did they remake Footloose? Yes. I forgot about that. Ter- that's God. a terrible idea. And John Lithgow, for that matter. And it's it's of that moment. It's of that era. Um, and <laughs> taking on these uh, Christian evangelicals. That was, that was the big thing, you know, at the time. Bible Belt. Of course, Ben-Hur. Obviously, one of the biggest flops, maybe of all. Is it up there, Sonny? It's up there. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of like money spent to money recouped. Yeah. Very, very big. Terrible idea. Don't mess with Charlton Heston. You just can't do that. Uh, Well, of course, they did that with Ten Commandments as well, but I didn't add that to my. That's an honorable, dishonorable mention. I think that was also a TV series, wasn't it? They didn't. I don't think they did the Ten Commandments in movies, did they? No, you know, Gods and Kings. I mean, with Christian Bale. Oh, oh, oh! No, that was uh, Exodus. Or well, yeah, 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 Gods and Kings. Yes. Yeah. No, that was bad. That was bad. Yeah, that was bad. That was bad. But it it was actually not terribly unsuccessful, if I remember correctly. 
The yes, that's right. And it was uh, Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. He'll, he'll Ridley get you, Scott he'll get you some miles. I, I mean, you, I, miles. you say what you will about a Ridley Scott film, but they are very well filmed. They yeah, look that's good. True. That's true. For me, however, the most upsetting uh, movie of it that was recently rebooted was Arthur. I really like the original Arthur with Dudley Moore and Sir John Gielgud and Liza Minnelli. Uh, crazy. But it just captured New York in the 80s. For me, people are going to say this is crazy. I'm sure if John Pertorch is listening, he'll say this is crazy. It's the bookend. You ready for this? It's the bookend to Edith Wharton's Age of Innocence is Arthur. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hold on. Let it sit there. I'm stirring it. I'm stirring it. Okay, let it distill. The point is what you saw. That reference is too highbrow for me. That was me. too highbrow. It, what you saw in the original Arthur was a look into New York old money in the 80s and these families that came down, generations of families. They all live in places like the Sherry Netherland, and they have these beautiful homes in, in the Hamptons, and they had butlers. That has all changed. There was a piece uh, a few years ago about you know the angry... Um, uh, penthouse neighbors, you know, from the old money and all these hedge fund guys who live an entirely different lifestyle but have clearly more money. Arthur had $700 million, and that was supposed to be a big deal at the time. And Yeah, today it's not a big deal at all. $700 million? <laughs> you know, I in New York. On that. In New York. Uh, you know, and you have all these billionaires, and, so, and, and they're not old money. And so what you saw was the end of that old money. And they were, in the movie Arthur, they're trying to marry Arthur Bach, uh, to Susan, and it's like two old families together, and it's whatever they had left of the the old rich families of New York trying to get together. The remake was with Russell Brand and Helen Mirren, uh, and I like Helen Mirren, but ugh, thank you, Sonny. Russell, I, I just when you said you know, Arthur, I was afraid that you were going to be referring to the Guy Ritchie King Arthur movie that's coming out. Guy Ritchie really needs to get over his like <laughs> historical chav period. No, let's go his, back like, to uh, his his you know oh Sherlock snatch. Holmes yeah. and we need to get back to to him in the modern day dealing with gangsters. Yeah, Jason Statham. Love he it. needs to make a movie with Jason Statham that is set in 2015. That's what I want. Okay, Sherlock you. Holmes is great. The first one. And the with man Robert from Downey. Uncle, which is shot recently, is kind oh of a mess. God. Okay, JVL. So I don't need him. You have your thoughts. No, I don't have thoughts. I have oh, a ranking. Okay. Man from, the Man from Uncle is set in like the 1960s or 70s. Yeah, that's not right. like antiquity. The historical shav period. That's a, okay. Well, which is which is the Man from Uncle closer to King Arthur and uh, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes or today? Lock, stock, and two smoking barrels of 2000. Because uh, it's Arthur, only 40 years away from King, that. King Arthur and Sherlock Holmes because it's a period picture. I don't want a period picture. I want a contemporary picture. The angry episode of the substandard. Go ahead, JV. It's not my fault JVL's garbage. Herewith are the three best TV to movie adapted. What are we even calling I'm just, I'm just making sure Sonny didn't mute even... us. At some point, the only thing unmuted will be Sonny, and we're talking on for like minutes. Okay, go ahead, JVL. Yeah. Just go. To be honest, that'd be a good show. <laughs> Uh, so listen, for the purposes of this ranking and this list, I do not count something like Serenity, which I count as just a series finale to Firefly. Uh, I'm really only taking things that are long-dropped properties and picked back up in film. Number three for me would be what I said, 21 Jump Street, which I, I kind of love as a movie. It's a great movie. Uh, number two, Miami Vice, which I would say is a top five Michael Mann movie. Mm. And this, again, this could have been made with any set of character names, with any title you want on it. The only reason to stick Miami Vice on it is because Mann has a connection to the series because he, he 
I think he produced, right? He, he was the executive, executive producer. producer. He didn't for... actually direct any of the episodes. I thought he directed one or two of them, no? He may have directed the pilot, but I, he, my understanding, if I remember correctly, he did not. Somebody who I'm sure will chime in on Twitter and tell me I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he did not direct any episodes. Well, I, I take your word for it. Um, but aside from that, there's just no need for that movie to be called Miami Vice. I mean, it's fine that it is. It doesn't take anything away from it. You didn't have it. a problem with the audio? You're starting trying to start a fight between me and my hero, John Podhoritz, and I'm not going to take the bait. But John Podhoritz was right that the audio mix is muddy. He's right about that. That's why you have to watch it 10 times, which I've done in the last year. Miami Vice is great. Number great two. Great weapons. Number two. one, The Fugitive. Oh, yeah. The Fugitive oh, is better than the entire series. It takes the TV concept. It distills it and perfects it. It's not really an action movie. It's not really a thriller. It's actually a love story. And that's because everything in that movie gets anchored by the first five minutes where you get Richard and Helen Kimball together in their house. And if you don't buy that relationship, then the rest of the movie is just generic action product. But because you do, and because it is sold so perfectly by Seal Award and Harrison Ford, and the screenwriter, Jeb Stort, who wrote Die Hard. No surprise, the guy who wrote Die Hard knew how to put together this movie. Because that works, everything, the emotional stakes are high throughout the rest of the movie. And what happens is you are moved through tension, resolution, relaxation, tension, resolution, relaxation, but it gets amped up throughout. You see the entire mystery play out through Kimball's eyes so that you're never either in front of him or behind him. You're never playing catch up. You never have the benefit of knowing more than what he's he's doing. And you get the iconic character of the marshal right. uh, played yep. by Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones, great, but again, the writing is there for him. Tommy Jones did not come out with every outhouse, hen house, and whorehouse on his own. That was not an ad lib. So you put all that together, and for me, it's it's basically a perfect movie, and uh, I I love it. So it transcends whatever the TV series really was. It's it's perfect, the best of all time. I would just chime in and say that the generic action stuff also works really well on its own. Like Tommy Lee Jones being like, I don't care. Right. Oh yeah. Is like is yeah. such a great like tossed off line, and the fact that that did spawn its own sequel, totally unrelated to Harrison Ford and all that. Uh, just With shows Robert that, Downey Jr. as a yeah. villain. Maybe yeah, people the only forget time about in his that. career. He's been well, not a counting the kind of teen year stuff. What we yeah, less weird than zero. And, less than, oh, yeah, less than zero. Less than yeah. zero. He was. Yeah. Anyway, heel Robert Downey Jr. I think he was just playing himself in less than zero. But go ahead. Uh, Fugitive is fantastic. I remember being extremely skeptical. Like, how are they going to sell this to me? Because okay, I just I don't know if I can get into this. And sitting down, and the payoff is so great as well. I mean, it's a terrific payoff. It's fantastic. And with one of my other favorite character actors, Joey Joey Pads, Joe Pantoliano. Oh, that's right. Right. No, all those marshals actually. So, and this is a this is again genius of writing. They sketch out. I think there are four or five marshals, and Tommy Lee Jones is the only one who has like real screen time and real lines. But they do little tiny bits of sketching so that you actually feel like you understand his whole team. You know who the kid is, who is. We have the tall, who kind of looks like Judge yeah. Reinhold. Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah, it is yeah. Judge Reinhold. <laughs> yeah, he, um, he dies in the f- sequel. He dies in the sequel, right? He's killed by Robert Downey Jr. That's right. Um, he, you, you actually have a sense as, hey, this is the kid who's the natural, who's going to be the heir apparent to Tommy Lee. I mean, all that does done in such quick, broad strokes. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Uh, I think the challenge for Tommy Lee Jones in the sequel is uh, the guy he was chasing after was a vampire. 
Oh, it was Wesley Smith, right? It was Wesley Snipes, right? Oh, Wesley, Wesley, Wesley Smith. Wesley Smith. Wesley Smith. Smith. The bioethicist. Wesley, Wesley Smith, the EPPC it was scholar. Not the bioethicist. <laughs> Discovery Institute, I believe. Discovery Institute, very yeah. good. No, Wesley Snipes. Always been on black. That's different right. Wesley Snipes. That different movie. one, but I'll throw it all in Love together. I can't believe that he didn't make enough money to pay off his taxes. Okay. Uh, great. Uh, corrections, clarifications, additions. Uh, JVL. I will reiterate that Cardia 22, you need to email us or text us or tweet at us or something so we can send you your beautiful parting gift. Part of uh-huh. part of the exciting uh, adventure of getting this prize is figuring out how to contact us and make us yes. believe that you were the person who left that review. Just FYI. Uh, Sunny was wrong. False. Ooh. Just Carl says that when Sunny said that they started using CGI in the 90s Disney Renaissance, not true. Wrong. It was in the Big Ben sequence in The Great Mouse Detective. Uh, Listener Liam Hare, I hope I'm saying your name right, Liam, says that I am way too hard on Don Bluth and then gives like a 900-word essay on the greatness of Don Bluth. I will put it in show notes. You should take his word for it. I'm willing to be wrong. Uh, And not a mistake, but a clarification from last week. After we went on air, somebody published the Beauty and the Beast trutherism about how Belle would have been much better off Marrying Gaston mm-hmm. as opposed to the Beast, and how this all ends with her being guillotined within about thirty-six months. Oh yeah, of the conclusion right. of of Beauty and the Beast. I'll put that in show notes too. I think they were might have been in last week's show notes, but just go read. This is fantastic. It's really good. It's all about placing Beauty and the Beast within the timeline of the French Revolution and understanding that all of a sudden, hey, wait a minute, she's going to go marry the rich one percenter who has no friends in a castle by himself. How's that going to work out? Um. Substandard listener Steelers at Steeler Slob asks how to say some actors' names. I'm going to give this to Sonny since he is the professional movie critic, and then I want to hear Sonny's pronunciations. Uh, Steve Buscemi, Amanda Seyfried, Kieran Hines, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Do we agree, uh, disagree with any of that? I thought it was Buscemi. I mean, Buscemi, Buscemi, I don't See? know. Buscemi and Seyfried. I was a Seyfried. Amanda Seyfried, right? Seyfried, yes. See, what did I say, Seyfried? I think so. Uh, and Sonny, I, I don't know if you remember this, Sonny. You and I used to say Ciaran Hines. Yeah. And, well, and I, who can remember, I remember right, who no, corrected it, us. The Celtic linguistic scholar Michael Warren. Yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. That guy's super Irish. Idiot. He's a drunk. Kieran, I, uh, whatever. Okay. I, yes. You know. Yes, okay. Um, I love him, and he's in every movie now, he isn't is. he? he? Kieran well, Hines is in every movie now? He's great, and I'm pretty sure he's in Justice League. Doesn't he play the big bad in Justice League? kind of looks like Darkseid. Wow. He, he kind of looks side. Like, first off, need, first off, makeup. First off, it's Darkseid. Second off, uh, he's not playing Darkseid. He's playing like Darkseid's lieutenant. I don't know who that is because I don't. I'm not a DC nerd. Kieran You're Hines, the DC nerd. Kieran Hines, Siren, <laughs> Siren Hines, kind of looks like a person who is drawn by Jack Kirby. Bam! Wow. All right, that's good nerd. Good nerd right? <laughs> I think Kieran Hines would be great for a Douglas MacArthur movie. He just looks the part. Uh, of course, that was already done with he's, Liam Neeson, wasn't it? He's still the best Julius Caesar of all time. Oh, great Caesar! I great mean, Caesar! His turn on Rome. Mm-hmm. Yes. The first season of Rome is arguably the greatest season of television that HBO has ever produced, which makes it the best season of television of all time. Right, JBO? Very possibly. The first season of Rome was amazing. I never watched anything else, actually, because the first season was so good that I was like, okay, well, this can't get any better. You just stop watching TV after that. 
Well, there's no more TV. Rome. I stopped watching Rome. Also, a substandard listener, Stephen Philippi, sent us an email uh, saying that he's been following us on Twitter for a while now and uh, has only been listening to the podcast for the last two months, but he loves it. Keep up the great work. And he wanted to direct us to truly awful Disney movies uh, that we did not mention. He said a couple of years ago, uh, a few friends and I, he says, decided to watch all 53 Disney animated movies at the time in chronological order. He says uh, the five that were made after World War II are fairly unbearable. Um, he mentions. Um, Salud- you don't have to read the whole thing. Yes, now. we could put that in show have notes. To mention Saludos Amigos, Three Caballeros, Melody Time, etc. Thank you. Uh, but he also says, um, here's one: The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad from 1949. I assume those are two different movies and not The Adventures of Mr. Uh, of Ichabod yes. and Mr. Toad. Ichabod, <laughs> right. the Headless Horseman. Don't cross the, the Don't cross ride. the bridge, Ichabod. That was my Mr. Toad impression. <sighs> Okay, uh, and he also suggests troublingly not waste. He says not waste your time on them, as your time would probably be better suited uh, rewatching Sucker Punch, or maybe not. Don't forget Spirit of the Week, Vic. Yes, of course. Okay. Anyway, he says better watch. Uh, Jesus, better off watching. Are we Sucker still Punch. talking about this? Uh, God, we're not even. We're twenty minutes. My God, we are still twenty minutes less than our uh, record episode. So. Thank you, Stephen Phillips. Obviously, Sucker Punch is the best hey, movie of all time. did you guys know that Rogue One came out on video last week? Boo! But not on DVD. Yes. That was th- that was our most popular podcast, wasn't it? Ever. I don't know. You know, I don't Ever. keep track of these things because no. I'm not here to entertain you. <laughs> That's good. I'm here good to speak point. my truth. Also, I don't know if you caught this. <laughs> Thank last you, Tommy. Week. We were talking about board games. And we were talking about Monopoly, oh uh, and the Wall Street Journal just announced they are removing three tokens. Did you hear this? This is literally like a month old. I don't understand oh, why we're week. talking about this. Thimble, boot, and wheelbarrow are this gone. This is not last week. This T-Rex, is T-Rex, penguin, oh, and God. duck are the new ones. Boo. What were you, JVL? Race car forever. I was the battleship, Sonny. If there was a hand there was with a, a battleship, m- yes. None of my Monopoly sets had yeah. a battleship. Really? I had a little tugboat, uh, not a oh, battleship. I thought that was a battleship. Okay, go I ahead. I was the car, I think. I, yeah. I thought you were the hand with the middle finger sticking out. Oh, no, they didn't have that token. Oh, no, okay. that was that was just me <laughs> to everybody no on deals. the board. No deals. No deals. Spirit of the week. Sonny, can I trade the Reading Railroad for the B&O Railroad? Never! Our They're s- the same thing. They're just railroads, Sonny. Don't care. Our spirit of the yeah, week. Yeah, I'll let you do it Thank if you, you toss in a $500 <clears throat> bill. Mm. <laughs> the orange bill. Spirit of the Week is Maker's Mark from Kentucky. Really good stuff. Uh, when I was out there, I actually poured a bottle myself and dipped it in the wax. And Bill Samuels said, well, it was a pretty good job. If you don't have another job, I'll hire you. So when all this ends, I'm going out to Kentucky to be a wax <laughs> To be bottle, a wax dipper? A wax dipper. Wax dipper Those are Maker's all Mark. union jobs, so that's probably like a $50,000 a year so job. A, yes, easily. And I have to work twice a week. Uh, that is all the time we're giving you for this episode. Questions, comments, complaints, compliments, tweet us at Victorina Mattis at Sunny Bunch. Again, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play. Just type in substandard under podcast. We're there. Leave a review. Tell your friends. Don't forget the bingo cards. And also, Substandard Show Notes will be up on Friday at 11 a.m. at weeklystandard.com. Make sure to tweet at JV Last. He loves to hear from you. He is your biggest fan. Until next time. How did you like being the reviewer this week, JBL? I found it disconcerting. Yeah. You know what? You know, uh, like The Rock used to say. 
You got to shut your mouth and know your role. Know your role. Got to know your and role. And I know my role. Mm. And my role is not doing movie mm. reviews. Mm-hmm. So, but you are going to go see, you, you're going to try and go see Ghost in the Shell. Well, I assume you're going to see Ghost in the Shell because it looks awesome. Ghost in the Shell not screening for critics. What? I'm going to have to go Damn, see it. That's I'm, a bad sign. I'm going to have to go see it with garbage pleb people. Oh, why don't we do it together and we Thursday. can make fun of them and throw popcorn at them? Do you, if you're going to go Thursday night at 7 yeah. p.m. at the AMC in Georgetown, that's where I'm going to be. Uh, the, listeners hey, who, uh, who hey, get this six hours from now, Saudi has paid me to Sadi, go to because I have to. I have to go see. I have to go see it in Georgetown at seven p.m. so I can write a review of it that will go up like five hours later. I, it's really this is really making my life extremely difficult. Hey, Sonny, uh, here's a little tip for you. If you go watch the movie with Jonathan, but make sure he's not holding the popcorn bag. That's a reference to uh, what? What was the diner? Diner, yeah, that's a diner joke, guys. Do you have you seen Diner? Everyone out there, I hope everyone's seen Diner with Mickey Rourke, one of the best early Mickey Rourke performances. Steve anyway, Guttenberg. Anyway, I'm extremely excited to go see uh, Ghost in the Shell. We can do a joint review next I, week. I would just like you to review it, and I will sit and just sit there and shut my mouth and know my role. You're just gonna judge me? Not judging, just learning from, mm. absorbing. Mm. I'm sure it'll be fine. 